I, those of you who are closest to me know that we're going through a season of seasons in our world right now. And sometimes when I'm preaching to you, did you know this, that I'm really preaching to me? Um, in the next week, uh, we will have all three of our children graduate in some form or the other. The following week, we will have Abby's wedding. My, my oldest, uh, our, young, our oldest will get married. The following week, uh, um, we'll move our child off to college, our, our youngest one off to college, and Julie and I will become empty nesters. And then there's the professional transition that we're moving through. So there's just a lot going on. And um, I, in the moments like these when you're spinning plates, you know, you're spinning plates, it always feels like you're trying to manage too much. And have you noticed when you, when you watch this guy, he had to keep going back to get back to the thing that was about to fall apart, right? Sometimes when life is busy like that, you feel like you're not managing anything well. Today I want to talk to you about stress and life and balance. I want to talk to you about uh, seeking to live a life that is, uh, that is able to really enjoy moments that, that sometimes can just pile up on top of one another. And for some of us, I may be talking about the stresses of business, and other people you might be thinking about the relationships in your life. Here's the truth. Here's the truth. In the South, we have gotten this nomenclature that in the South, we're laid back, you know? The South, we're easygoing people. And you know, I figured out, I figured out that's a lie. That ain't true. Did you know that here in the South, right here, right where you are right now, we are professional workaholics? You're probably sitting right next to one, all right? Well, let me tell you how I know this. We go, go, go. We rush so much. We're very busy, busy, busy all the time. As a matter of fact, here's how I know this. If you're anything like me, I'll give you a little quiz. You ready for a quiz? Let's start with a quiz, and you see, let me see how stressed, how busy you are, all right? See if you can fill in the end of this sentence as we go forward, all right? I am at the end of my... Okay, you know that one. All right, how about this one? I am coming unglued. All right, all right. Here's one. My life is falling. Oh, we all know that one, don't we? All right. How about this one? I am at my wits. Okay. How about this one? I re- I'm really stressed. Yeah, and just one more here. I am ready to throw in the... So you guys are pros at this kind of thing, right? You are professionally stressed people, just like I am sometimes, right? Did you know CNN a couple of years ago did, an, did a, a poll? They're always about the polls, right? They did a poll of Americans, and they found out that 68% of, of Americans want to slow down and take more time for the leisure, enjoying side of their life. 68% of Americans. Interestingly enough, the Harris poll the very same week did a, did a poll and the average amount of time people in America are spending working, and compared to 10 years ago, we're spending eight and a half more hours at work and not doing the leisure things. So you see that stress point? We all want to be able to enjoy life more. We want to be able to slow down more. But the truth of the matter is we get busier and busier and busier, right? And what, it, what, what, what happens is we actually get so busy, we can't really enjoy the moments. My wife and I have a lot of moments coming up, and we really, we see them as a gift from God. We know they are. I mean, as we experience graduation, which some of you in this very room, you're going to be experiencing, you have a graduate, you know, as we experience a wedding. It wasn't uh, just a couple weeks ago at Easter time, we all gather around the table, and my father-in-law, who's a very godly man, looked around and he said, you know what? 
we are very blessed. We've got these things happening and these things happening. And look at this person graduating and look at the skills. And he said, you know what? It's so easy to get so busy that you don't really see the gift and the joy and the blessing of these moments to really be able to enjoy it. So today I'm your pastor. I'm preaching to me, okay? But I bet you're, I bet you're like me. I bet you have a lot going on too. And I want to talk to you about really running after balance in our lives, being able to balance all the demands of the world that you and I are living in. Look what the Bible says in Psalm 127 too. It is senseless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night. God wants his loved ones to get their proper rest. I want you to notice those first few words of that last portion. God wants his loved ones. It's, it's out of concern that the Bible says sometimes God is saying to us, you need to go back, reevaluate, look at your life. Are you getting out of balance? Are you, are you getting uh, weebly wobbly over here, too busy on this, focusing on that, not able to enjoy the things I've given you? God, he wants his loved ones to get their proper rest. So when I talk about balance this morning, here's what I want you to understand. God is a God of balance. Have you ever thought about that before? God built a world. He spoke a world into existence that has the certain tilt of an axis that if it was variant just a few degrees, we'd burn up towards the sun. We live in, a, in an ecosystem that is balanced. As a matter of fact, architects go to school to learn how to build balanced buildings so that they don't fall down. Balance is all around us. But to be honest with you, balance is actually one of the things that we struggle for, right? We want to be balanced people. We want to do things well and enjoy life. But sometimes we get out of balance and we run too hard. And, and so today I want to talk to you about balance. And I just want to use a little acronym, B-A-L-A-N-C-E. And I want you to do a little checkup in your world, okay? So you've got that outline in front of you. Why don't you grab a pen? I'm going to get you to fill in some blanks. I'm going to get you to circle and underline some things. I might even say, hey, write this down in your margin and give you a couple of things to, to think about in the margin. And I want to invite you to take notes there. But remember what I always say, the most important thing you write on that outline is probably not going to come from me. It might have to do with what God's whispering over you. We might get down into the third or fourth point, and that's it for you. Circle that on your outline, okay? Balance. So if you have that first one, fill this in. Build. Build my life around Christ. That's the starting place for balance. And, and it's going to be kind of where we end, to be honest with you. Are you building your life around Christ? You know, when we think about priorities, when we think about values, I normally think about them like a one, two, and three. Am I, do I have my values in place? Do I have my priorities? Am I spending the time on the right things? And I think of them like a list. But what I want to, as you, we start this thought about building my life around Christ, I want you to think about your life like it's a wheel. And instead of thinking about lists, one, two, and three, why don't you think about a wheel? What's at the very center of a wheel? A hub. A hub is at the very center of the wheel. And the, and the key thought here at the very beginning when we think about balance is what is at the very center of your life? Have you centered your life in every way around Jesus Christ? Have you put him at the center? Now, if you think about a wheel, the truth of the matter is that wheel, a lot of power is generated out of the hub, right? It doesn't happen on the edges. It's generated control, power, strength for that wheel tied in with the axle is right there at the hub. So, the question that I want to begin with around this point, number one, is are you building your life? Do you know that you know that you know that you're building your life around Jesus Christ? Well, Stephen, tell me, how do I really know 
how do I evaluate that? How do I really know that I've built my life around Jesus? And the answer to that question is very simple. You know you're building your life around something, and that something is, what do you think about most? That's a tough question, isn't it? Can I ask you that question to ponder it for a minute? What are you thinking about most of the time? Is it around work? Is it around money? Is it around relationships? See, you can build your life around a lot of things. But if you really want to achieve balance, here's what I think. I think Jesus is the most balanced person who ever walked across the planet. I mean, if I only had three years and I had to save the world, I'd be running everywhere. All right? Not Jesus. Jesus lived in balance. He met with his father every day. He did the ministry. Jesus lived in balance. And if you re- it seems to me, if you really want to live a, the best balanced life possible, you would say, I need to make sure that I'm sure that I'm sure I'm putting Jesus Christ right at the very center of everything in my world, making him the hub. Look at this scripture. It says this, God will give you all you need from day to day if you live for him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. You get your pen. Maybe you'd underline that or circle those last three words. Your primary concern. Don't think one, two, and three. Think hub. I'm going to put Jesus at the very center of my life and then everything else, my relationships, my work, my finances, my everything else goes around that hub. It all starts there. Now, balance is a long word, so I'm going to go fast, okay? That's the B. Build your life around Christ. You ready for the next one? A. Write this one down. A is accept my humanity. Accept my humanity. By the way, this one's a really tough one. I have to own this one. I bet you do too, all right? Accept my humanity. What what does that really mean? Sometimes if we're really going to get balance back in our life, we have got to stop pretending we're God and we, and you know, that we are controlling everything and that we're going to, we can solve everything. Let me tell you, there's a lot of clergy, there's a lot of pastors who they have a hard, hard time accepting our humanity. Because we like to pretend we have all the answers, you know. I, I have all the answers, and I can meet everybody's needs. Yes, who I am, you know. And I can take care of everybody. Can I just tell you, can I, can I just confess to you that playing God, some people can get real professional at that and think they can play God. And what it means to accept your humanity is to basically say, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to pretend anymore that I'm Superman. There's no such thing. Or that there's Superwoman. You give up on that. You say, I'm going to accept my humanity. I can only do so much, God. You put me on the planet to do whatever you've called me to do. I'm going to live every day the best I can. I'm going to build my life around Christ, and I'm not going to try to be something I'm not. I'm not going to try to be Superman or Superwoman. I'm going to be the person you created me to be. Hey, you remember that little story about Muhammad Ali, true story? You remember? I don't know if you remember this. Muhammad Ali got on a plane, and um, he was flying on a, on a regular plane with everybody else, not a private jet plane. And the stewardess came up when it was time to take off, and she looked at him, and she knew who he was. She walked up and said, Mr. Ali, you need to buckle your seatbelt. And he looked at her, and he said, listen, lady, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And she said, Mr. Ali, Superman don't need a plane either. Buckle your seatbelt. I like to tell that story, because every time I think about Superman, I remember even Muhammad Ali wasn't Superman, right? Even Muhammad Ali had to accept his limitations, right? Here's the deal. We get, we get rushing so much. We run ourselves ragged, and we need to accept our humanity. God made us with so many hours and so many breaths in a day. We need to live like we understand that. Read it here. It says, uh, Ecclesiastes 10, 15, Only someone too stupid to find their way home would wear himself out with work. That's 
That's a hard scripture, ain't it? Only someone too stupid to find his way home would wear himself out with work. By the way, how do you wear yourself out with work? Here's what you need to know. This is a little gauge meter on your your dashboard. Um, When when we are wearing ourselves out with work, here's here's what that means. We are trying to be God. We're trying to do more than we were made to do when we're wearing ourselves out with our work. And we need to give up on the the Messiah complex, the I am God thing. Are you understanding me? Are you hearing me? If you are, shake your head up now. You, You getting what I'm talking about here today? All right, so here's the deal. Did you know this? You are not the general manager of the universe. Did you know that? And did you know that if you stop trying to be the general manager, the things would not fall apart? Here's another great clue. George, today, you could say, God, I resign being general manager of the universe. And did you know nothing would change? Because you're not the general manager anyway. All right? So it's accepting your limitations and not trying to work yourself to a frizzy because you're just killing yourself and you're not really trying to be the human that God created you to be. I like this, Psalm 119, 73. You made my body, Lord. Now give me sense to heed your laws. Whenever I'm working so hard, I'm tearing my body down, I'm not really acting with the sensibilities that God taught me. I need to accept my humanity. You got your pen? I'm going fast. I said number three, right? So we're going to build our life around Christ. You want to check that? Accepting my humanity, you've been trying to play God too much. Here's the third one. Limit my labor. Now, this is going to be a tough one for some folks because this is where you're, this is your Achilles heel. Limit my labor. And what we're talking about here is making time for things that are not work, okay? Making time for family, making time for relationships, making time for fun, making time for recreation. Now, let me pause for a minute and say, number three, if you're self-employed, number three, you're probably going to have to circle this one, okay? If you are a single parent, you're probably going to have to circle number three because self-employed people and single parents have a really hard time limiting their labor. They feel like everything's on their shoulders. They've got to go, 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 go. And they really don't ever try to, they, they have a really hard time making time to play, making time for relationships, making time for something beyond all the work, the, the to-do list they've got to do. So limiting my labor. What does that mean? Well, I, I want to talk to you for a minute about what the Sabbath is, okay? Because God had a plan And the plan is that we would limit our labor, that we wouldn't go, go, go seven days a week and then another seven days a week, but we would limit our labor. Here it is. You have six days in which to do your work, but the seventh day is to be a day of rest dedicated to me. Now, by the way, did you see that? Look at that word right there on the bottom. See, it says Exodus 29 and 10. That's, you know what that means? That means this is not pop psychology. It's actually in the Bible, all right? And here's a cool thing. Um, it's so important that God said it in the Big Ten, okay? So it's right next to do not kill, do not steal, do not lie. And then he says this. Now, why would God say that? I'm going to read it one more time. You have six days in which to do your work, but the seventh day is to be a day. If you've got your pen, underline um, those three words, day of rest, a day of rest dedicated to me, a day of rest dedicated to God. You get that picture? That's so here's what I want you to understand. 
God wired you this way. God wired you so that you would have six days to work. And the seventh day, you would take a day of rest and you would dedicate it to him. You get that picture? So what does Sabbath mean? If you've, if you, some of us, I think most of us probably know this concept, but right out next to your margin right there, what does Sabbath mean? It simply means a day of rest. That's what Sabbath means, a day of rest. And the Bible says, Jesus put it this way in Mark, the Sabbath was made to benefit man and woman. That's what the Sabbath was made for. So there have to be moments where we shut down the world, where we refuel, we refocus, we recreate, and we refill our tanks. Now, by the way, I'm a pastor, and I have to create a Sabbath but I'm no different from you, right? I'm, I've been called by God to live this way. God had all the energy in the world, but God created the world, right, in six days, and then he rested after that to model it for us. Recently, I was taking my Sabbath. Now, my Sabbath is not on Sunday. I consider this my work day. I have to create another day. And so normally, I try to take my day away as Friday, a day to refocus and reconnect and refill, re, re, revision. And um, Somebody called me and they said, no, they didn't call me, they saw me. I was at, we were at a store together at a Walmart. And somebody said, hey, I tried to call you on Friday. And I said, well, um, Friday's my day off. And then they were kind of like, you know, like self-righteous and stuff. And they said, yeah, well, oh, pastor, the devil don't take a day off. And I said, well, if you want me to be like the devil, I wouldn't take a day off either, you know. If I don't take a day off, I'm going to be like the devil. Can I tell you about you? If you don't take a day off, you're going to be like the devil. We're talking about limiting our labor. And this is really hard for some people. They want to excuse themselves. You know what I did? I took a day off. It's a couple, three weeks ago. I took some time off. Yes, I did. No, 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 no. You've missed the concept completely. It's you work six six days and then you give a day out of every week. It's not every other week. It's not every three weeks. Every week. You give a day of rest, and you commit it to God. Now, in your margin, you might want to write down just what are you, what are you trying to do on those days? What are those days to do? Because this is important, because some people, can I talk to the ladies in the room for a minute? I want to tell you about a day of Sabbath for you. I'm convinced that shopping does not replenish your soul, all right? Some of you are going to argue with me after church. We'll be eating a hot dog and a hamburger together, and you'll be like, yes, it does. I feel so much better when I shop, Okay. And, and, and there's quite a few men in the room where I could talk to you about, you know, a computer that's not, it does not fill your soul, okay? You sitting there surfing the internet. For some of you, you go, I'm going to go golf. That's going to fill me up. No, 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 not necessarily. When I golf, I really get more tired. It's, it does, it's, it's a little bit of recreation. It can be a portion of what I do. But what are you trying to do when you are taking that day of rest and you're giving to God? Three things, write these down. First of all, you're, and I'm going to go fast. You're resting. Literally, you're trying to replenish your physical body. There needs to be rest in the Sabbath, okay? Rest. The second thing is you are recharging. What, what, what can recharge you? What can give you energy? Is it, is it um, do you need relational energy? Do you need to sit down and, and spend some time talking with your father in prayer? Is it, is it scriptural? What recharges you? And then finally, refocusing. We, we just... We, even people who take their Sabbath so oftentimes do this so poorly. We take time and we rest, but we don't really do anything to recharge or to refocus our lives. That's what the Sabbath is all about. So as we do this, those first three points, 
how you doing at balance? Are you building your life around Christ? Are you playing God or are you accepting your humanity? How do you do at limiting every week, not every other week, every week limiting your labor, giving God a day of rest and dedicating it to Him? You got your pen? Write this next one in. It's another A. Adjust my values. Adjust my values. So we're talking about balancing. I've been thinking about this all week long. Uh, normally the, word, the time that in my life where I use the word balance a lot is when I have to balance my tires. And, and these days, I'm a dad with, you know, all these older kids, so I've got lots of cars. You know, it feels like i got lots of cars. It feels like I own a car lot, you know. And, and I'm always having to pay attention to these. I try to teach these kids about oil in their cars, right? They think they run themselves, but no. Have you changed the oil in the car? Have you, have you, have you rotated and balanced the tires? So let's go back to that kind of balance concept for a minute and what it means to adjust my values. See, here's what I've learned, and maybe you've learned this too. I can set my values and make sure they're in the right place. But then when I start living life and I, I wake up a little bit later and it's three months down the road or a six month, all of a sudden my values can get out of, out of alignment again. And I need to go back and do an adjustment. I need to go back and get them rebalanced, get them readjusted. Does that make any sense? In the same way that you have to do this, this maintenance with your car, we have to do that with our life. We have to go back and check our values and say, am I spending the time that I want to spend in the right places? Am I giving the right amount of focus, the right amount of injury, uh, interest and energy around the things I really want to value? Adjusting our values. That's what I want to talk about for a minute. And are, are you doing a good job at making sure you're really spending the time where you want to spend the time, the energy where you want to spend the energy? Because here's what I found. If you are overworking then actually what's happened is you're somewhere along the way, you've hit a bump along the way, and your, your, your values have gotten messed up. Because the Bible says very clearly, we'll read it in just a second, but the Bible says very clearly when you start to overwork, there's normally a reason. You're trying to accomplish too much, and you're, you're trying to make that part of your identity, or you're, trying to, you, you're, you're valuing stuff too much, and materialism has crept in. Matter of fact, read this one. It'll tell you how you overwork towards materialism. Ecclesiastes 4.4, I've learned why people work so hard to succeed. It's because they envy the things their neighbors have. So sometimes we get so busy, we, our values can get spun out of place, and we don't even go back. We, today, today you're sitting in church to be reminded that you need to go back and look at your value set. What's really important to you? Because here's what I've learned. You can keep working and working and working so hard that you're just trying to keep up with the Joneses. And somebody in America, in our materialistic, hedonistic culture, where you can't even sit in the living room without commercial, 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 buy this, buy this, go that, without all that stuff, somebody has got to say, when is enough enough? When have I bought enough stuff? I mean, our houses are overflowing with stuff. Don't you agree? When is enough enough? Is it really worth it that I work, 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 work this hard? And, and have, you know, you're doing, you're adjusting your values. You're making sure materialism hasn't crept up into your, into your life. You're making sure that you're not doing things for the wrong reasons. This is what we're talking about. So, so read this, uh, Mark 8, 36. What good is it for a man, these are Jesus' words, what good is it for a man, and I would add, or woman, to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his or her soul? I'm going to give you my interpretation of that scripture. It's a little warped, okay? But what good is it 
for a man to become president of the company and lose his marriage. What, what good is it for a woman to get that promotion she so longed for and lose her husband or her kids? At some point, you've got to back up and say, is this really worth it? What's the most important thing to me? And do I have my values in the right place? And listen to the words of Jesus. And see, here's what I've learned. And this is why I think that God's wanting to whisper over me and you. What can happen in this, you know, they call it a rat race, right? What can happen in this hamster wheel of a rat race that's sometimes called life is we get working so hard, we feel like we've got to just keep pedaling hard because somebody's going to pass us if we slow down, all right? And we're so competitive and we're so, we're, we're so big, big time achievers. We will go, 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 go. And will not really look like the one who is number one in our life. Who even as God says, I work and I rest. This is the way I go. And I want you to do the same. Did you know some of you guys, I, I, know, I know this, I know this. Some of us grew up in homes where we were told we're never going to mount anything. Some of us grew up in homes and you were told this and that about you. And you know what you thought to yourself? You thought, I'm going to prove them wrong. I'm going to, I'm going to show them. And so all of your life, you've been like, trying to show somebody with your identity. You know, you've been going, 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 going. And what I want you to understand is that whether it's materialism or whether it's getting things messed up with our identity sometimes, that how we've got to work, sometimes you just got to stop and you got to readjust your values and go, how much should I be working? When's enough enough? How should I be giving time to this or that? What are my value sets? And put the values back in place the right way. Readjust, recalculate, rebalance your priorities, your values into the right places. I like this, Ecclesiastes 4.6. It is better to have only a little with peace of mind than be busy all the time. Now, that's a reminder to me that the greatest things in life are not things, Right? So don't be working so hard to get things. It's a reminder that the greatest things in life will always be relationships. And are you, do you have those values in the right places? Okay, so we're going to move on to just a couple more, okay? So adjusting your values. Look at that next one. Flip over that outline. Here, this is important. Nourish your inner life. You won't balance. You've got to nourish your soul, okay? Nourish your inner life. Life. Out to the margin of this, maybe you'd write the word passion or write those words zeal. You need to nourish your inner life to, to maintain your passion for the people, the things that God's called you to do. Now, recently, um, not long ago, we had a little cold spell, you know. It's kind of strange, wasn't it? And uh, in our house, we got cold and we built a fire during that time. I was thinking about this this week. Think about how you build a fire. When you get a fire going good, you really enjoy the warmth of it. But if you really want the fire to keep going, what do you have to do? You got to put more wood on it, right? You have to feed a fire. And what will eventually happen if you don't feed a fire is what? Fire's going to go out. Now, this is interesting that we know this about so many natural things about us. We know how to feed and fuel things. Every day almost, if not multiple times a day, we stop and have to fuel up our cars. That's a natural thing. Oh, getting close to empty. We have a gauge that even tells us it's there, right? Getting close to empty, need to fill back up, right? We do this with our stomachs. 
oh, I'm hungry. I need to get something to eat. We know that we need refueling. Why is it such a hard thing sometimes to understand that we have got to feed our inner soul? We've got to nourish the inner life. You want to hear from a wise man? Hear from the king of Israel. Solomon said it this way. In Song of Solomon 1.6, I had no time for myself. One of the wisest men that ever lived in the whole world, God gave him wisdom. He was saying, listen, I wasn't, he was not able to nourish his own inner soul and it brought him great pain because he was doing so much for so many others. Compare that to the psalmist in the next scripture that says, I will not neglect your word. The psalmist was making a commitment to say, I will continue to be a disciple. I will continue to be a student of your word. I will, I will allow you to nourish me inside because it is the bread of life. I will keep eating, God, because I need your strength for life. So if I were to ask you a question today, how are you doing on passion? Are you running on empty? I mean, are you passionate about life? Are you creative? Are you passionate about ideas? Do you have the next dream in front of you? Are you refilling and re-energizing, re-nourishing the soul within you? That's the big question here. When I was a teenager, I'm going to confess something for me. I don't think I've ever told this story. When I was a teenager, I came home one day. Uh, I was driving my, my old 1983 Buick Regal that I called Black Beauty. She was uh, a beast. And um, I, I pulled up in my driveway, and I got out of my car and was going to run in the house, and my, my, my dad was standing out in the yard, and he walked over to my car, and he said, son, come here. And so I walked over to the car. I knew I hadn't wrecked it or anything. I thought I was in trouble for a minute, and he pointed at a tire. And the tire was sitting there on the car, and it, it, looked, like, it looked like a regular tire, except for this one little part had a big balloon like poking out of it. It's like a big bubble thing. And he said, look at that. I thought it was cool looking. I was like, wow, that is neat. I've never seen something like that before. And I, I, I mean, I, I don't know very much about cars, you know. So I started laughing about it. My dad looked at me. He was not laughing at all. And if you knew my dad, he put his hand around the back of my neck. You know, you know how you can. He put his hand around the back of my neck and he turned his face to me and he said, if you're driving down the road and that thing pops, you could kill somebody. I knew it wasn't time to laugh anymore right then. He said, you're getting back in that car. You're going to go just two blocks away. And you're going to get that tire replaced today. You know what? I realized that day I learned what a bald spot was on a car, right? And I went and fixed it. And I learned a lesson from my dad. Can I just tell you that in the same way I was journeying through life, I found that it's that easy, like a teenager doesn't even look at his own tires. It's that easy to have bald spots in life. And, okay, let me push deeper. Sometimes when we don't nourish our soul and we know we start getting short with people, we get frustrated, we get aggravated, your fuse is getting shorter and shorter and shorter. You know what I'm talking about, right? Right. We're all there, right? It's easy to laugh it off. But what you don't realize is if one little event comes and pops that thing, 
You can hurt people real bad. You can hurt people really, really bad. If I could right now, I'd grab you by the back of the neck. You can hurt people really, really bad. So what do we need to do? Well, we need to make sure that we are nourishing our soul and not let the bald spots happen in our life. Look at how Jesus did it. The Bible says in Luke 5, Jesus often slipped away to be alone so he could pray. So if I were to ask you a question real quickly, I would ask you, um, what is it that you are neglecting right now? Is there something you're not paying attention to? Is there a bald spot in your life? Have you been wanting and needing to pray, but you're not praying? Have you been wanting to study the Bible or spend time with God, but it's not made it on your list and you're not doing it regularly? Have you been wanting to spend time with the kids, but you just neglected that and you're not doing it? Have you wanted to spend quality time with your spouse, but it just hadn't happened yet? It's in those moments that we need to come back and say, you know what, this is important to me. Adjust my values. Nourish my inner life. I'm not going to neglect this place anymore. Like the psalmist, I am going to, I'm going to feed upon God's word, and I'm going to make sure my soul is in a good place, nourishing your inner life. Just two more real quickly. You got your pen? Write this one down. Commit my schedule to God. Commit my schedule to God. So here's what you need to know. Most of us in this room, I bet we're list makers, aren't you? You like to make lists, to-do lists. You like to do have all the things you like to do. That's the way I am anyway. I'm a list maker, and I love to make my list. Here's one of the things I've learned, that my list does not, life does not always bless my list, okay? Life does not always cooperate with my list, that my list is, is going to argue with the world. My list is going to be in, in conflict with the world because the world is busy. And here's what you need to know. Life will not cooperate with your schedule. Life will not always cooperate with your lists. You need to know that ahead of time. And so here's what we need to understand. One of my mentors said it this way one time. If you're in ministry, you're going to be interrupted over and over and over again. And you're going to have these things that you think you're supposed to do, but you're going to be interrupted. And what I want to tell you is those interruptions... That is the ministry. That was a blessing to me. Because pastors can, we can have these long things, we got all these things we want to do, even for people, but if we can't pause and flex and bend in those moments when the interruptions happen, we will miss the most important parts of the ministry of our life. So what are we talking about here? Committing my schedule to God. The Bible says in Psalm 31, my times are in your hands. Psalm 31, my times are in your hands. Oh man, I need to confess something, and you do too. We oftentimes, we think our time is in our hands. I'm going to do this, and this, and this, and this, and this. That's what I'm going to do today. This is my day, you know. We have a plan. But the psalmist said, your time is in his hands. Whoo! You know what that means? You got to get this. It means that God wants us to learn how to live like Jesus. Jesus, again, he had three years to do his public ministry. He didn't run around like a madman. I remember walking up the steps, walking in, while we were in Greece, going up the steps, heading into the Acropolis, thinking, Jesus could have been here in seven days by a boat. Why didn't he come? Jesus knew the place God called him. He knew the people God had called him to, and he did the ministry God called him to do, and he did it God's way. He knew his times were in the Father's hands. So I was reading this past week about 
in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is going to go heal a little girl who's dying. A man came to him and said, can you come and heal my little girl? And Jesus is on the way to go heal this little girl. And this woman touches the hem of Jesus' garment who has a bleeding disorder. You remember this story? She touches the hem of his garment and Jesus stops. He stops on the way. He has a ministry moment with a woman who'd been healed after years and years and years of bleeding. Could not, and she'd come by faith to Jesus. Now, Jesus could have moved on. Jesus could have marched on. Jesus could have rolled on. But Jesus, even headed towards a dying girl, knew how to bend, knew how to flex. Jesus knew that his time was in God's hands. It wasn't about what he was going to do. It was about what God might do, the Father, in, around, and through him. You know, if you and I could live that way, oh man, I think it's the better way to live. And I think it's far more balanced, don't you? If we would not be so maybe list-driven and priorities and got to do this, 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 and that, but we understood that, you know, many times the interruptions in our day are the most important thing that God wants to do in that day to help us understand what He's doing in and through and all around us, right? One more, one more scripture here real quickly. It says, there is a time... And there is a season for everything under heaven. So here's what I need to hear today. (laughs) I wonder about you. God knows my time. God knows all about this season for me, which involves graduations and weddings. He knows my season. And my time is in His hands. So I need to every day. Here's the big point. Every day. It doesn't mean you never make a list, okay? You make your list, you make your schedule, you know where you're going to be, you're a planning person, you make your list, you make your plan, and then you commit it to God and say, God, here's what I think I'm supposed to be doing today. But whatever you have, whatever you have, lead me, I commit my schedule to you. And then finally, write this one down, and this is maybe the most important one, at least in my world today, it's the one that I'm circling, enjoy each moment. Enjoy each moment each moment. All of us should. Ecclesiastes 3 says, all of us should. Is that, is that a few of us should? No, it's not, is it? It says, all of us should enjoy what we've worked for. It is God's gift. I go back to my father-in-law standing around the kitchen table a few, a few weeks ago at Easter and saying, you know, we've got all this good stuff happening all around us. And Satan, you know what he said? He said, Satan would love to come and rob us and make us all tense about it and all stressed out. And, make, and, and he said, you know what? We're not going to let him do that because all these things, they're a gift from God. I heard my father-in-law say that to me, and I knew there was truth in that, right? I don't know what's in your world right now, but here's what I know. When I was a young Christian, I ran across a very little simple statement. You might want to write this down somewhere. It impacted the entire way I looked at life. I think it's a Catholic thing. It's the Westminster Catechism. Have you ever heard it before? The Westminster Catechism. It's so easy. So easy to remember. The Westminster Catechism states why you've been put on the planet. Ross, I'm looking at you right now, and I remember being a youth pastor. I remember how many teenagers. That was one of the biggest questions. What, what, What did God put me here for? In the Westminster Catechism... The folks, the scholars who sought to write that, tried to answer that question, and they answered it for everybody. 
And this is the way they answered it. And, and when I read this as a young Christian, it made so much deep peace with me. I said, well, if I don't do anything else, God, I can do that. The Westminster Catechism simply said is this. The chief aim of men and women, the chief aim of humanity, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. <laughs> you know, as a young Christian, when I got that, I thought, wow. So you mean if at the end of my days, I breathe my last breath, if I brought him glory and if I've enjoyed him, that's why he made me? You get that picture? So that became a, it became a kind of understanding that, that I've tried to live through the lens of my life. God put me on the planet to bring him glory and that he wants me to enjoy the things he's given to me. He wants me to enjoy the relationship I have with him. And, and hey, hey, can I just talk to little moms and dads, especially with the little kids, you know? Can I, those are stressful moments. When they're the youngest, oh my goodness. And it's so easy for Satan to kind of come in there and cause tension and want to rob you from those sweet years of those little ones' lives, you know? You see how that works? Proverbs 14.30 says this. A relaxed attitude lengthens a man's life. So, I want to encourage you as we close down this message to relax, take a breath, breathe, and realize that the things that are right around you, you're a very blessed person. You are a very blessed person. God has blessed you. And they've been put in your life for you to enjoy them as a gift from God. Now, one, one final thought here. I'm going to go back to the first point that I made in the very beginning. Remember I talked about building your life around Christ? So we've talked about balance today. Let me go back to that first point. What's at the hub of your wheel? Can I tell you that pastors oftentimes can make something else other than Jesus the hub of their wheel? And you might go, that's crazy. I'm telling you it's true. Do you know how easy it is to make ministry the hub of our wheel? And that is death. You can, make, you can be sitting here today and you can say, well, Stephen, I don't, I, don't, I don't see any problem with me making family the center of my wheel. I love my family. And can I just tell you, that's not the way to live. Your family was never made to be the center of your life. That's hard for some people to hear, you know? If some of us were real with God today and real with ourselves, we'd have to say, you know what? Money and stuff has been the center of my life for way too long. There's a lot of things you can put right at the very center of your life. But here's what I want you to know. St. Augustine says there is a hole inside of every person that was only meant to be filled by God. That hub of your wheel, that center of your life, it was always meant to be that you would put Jesus there. And Jesus one time was ministering, and he taught this. He, he, he was trying to get people to understand who he was and how, how he was supposed to be the very center of their life. And if they would allow him to into their life, then he would teach them a whole different rhythm for life. So this is how he said it. Read it with me. It says, Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 and 29. Jesus said, come to me. All you who are tired and have heavy loads, and I will give you more to do. Is that what it says? 
No, that's the substandard reviled version. That's not in my Bible there. All right? It's, it doesn't say that. And I just want to pause for a minute and say, you realize that's why some people have a hard time becoming Christian. Because if I go all in, oh man, Jesus, that was me. I remember, I remember thinking to myself, if I go all in, he's going to call me to Timbuktu. I ain't going to do that. You know, we think that he's going to call us, to, oh, you know, so much. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible, Jesus' words say this, come to me, all you who are tired and heavy lo- with heavy loads, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. The load I give you to carry is light. So here's what I want to tell you. If you are burdened, if you are burdened, if your load right now is heavy, according to Jesus' words, it didn't come from God. It did not come from God if your load is heavy because Jesus says his load that he will give you is light. You get that picture? So what would it look like for you today to just say, okay, God, you brought me to church today to hear a message about balance. I'm going to circle one of these things. Which one's the most important to to me that you're whispering over me today? Is it building my life, making sure you're the very center? Or if I let something else creep in? Is it accepting my my humanity or am I trying to play God? Is it limiting my labor? Have I really been taking time to rest and recharge and refocus? Is it adjusting my values and getting... What is it for you? Would you just take a minute to hold those notes in front of you? Would you just look at it and say, God... Where do I begin? Now, if you will, bow your heads with me. I just want to pray a prayer. It's a prayer of balance over us. And so if you would just make this your prayer. God, we want to build our life around Christ. We we want Christ to be the very center of who we are. Forgive us when we mess up and we start focusing on other things. Jesus, be the core of who we are. Be our power center. Be our vision center. Be be the core of our lives. Lord, I pray also that you would help us to accept our humanity, that we don't need to be playing God. I pray that you would help us to limit our labor and make, give us time to rest and help us make it a priority every week. Teach us this lesson, this new rhythm of rest and dedicating that day back to you. Father, for some of us, we need to adjust our values and get our values back in the right place. We've been running after stuff. Or we've, been a, we've been getting our identity from all of our work. Lord, help us adjust our values and get relationships back in the right spot. We pray that you would help us nourish our inner life, continue to grow us deeper, Help us to be students of your word. And Lord, if we've neglected something, help us to get that put back in there, the most important things. And this test will come tomorrow, Jesus, when we hit Monday morning. And we make up our list and we get our schedule together. Help us commit it to you and trust that our time is in your hands. We want to commit our schedules to you. And Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus. I pray this for me as a pastor. I pray this for everybody here. You have blessed us. Help us to enjoy the things we've worked for. Help us to enjoy the the season we're in. Help us to enjoy all the things you've put around us. Today we go outside and we're going to celebrate our student ministry lodge. Help us to really just enjoy it. I mean really enjoy being with the body of Christ. Because it's a gift. The Bible says... That every perfect gift comes from above. It's a gift. You've given it to us. 
Lord, I pray you'd help us to live in balance like you, Jesus. Teach us how to be better disciples. We will follow you. In the next few minutes, as we give to your kingdom, we just pray that you would multiply our gifts beyond our reach, that you would do great things in the name of Jesus through every person that gives. And Lord, I pray in accordance with the scripture that you would multiply those gifts back into their lives, continue to pour blessings out upon those who sow into your kingdom work. We give together and we give to your glory.